Hey everybody, welcome back to the second episode of The Rambler. Today we're going to be introducing A.K. Selling. We're going to be interviewing her. She's a Danish adoptee who's living in Seoul, and she opened up a cooking studio to expose uh, Koreans to Danish food and culture through the magic and art of cooking. Um, we talked a lot about how she grew up growing up in Denmark as a Danish adoptee, which is a point of view that uh, I don't think a whole lot of people get a, a lot of exposure to, unless, of course, you are a Danish adoptee and you grew up there and you belong to uh, the Danish adoptee group. Uh, or you happen to know a lot of the Danish adoptees. Uh, to me, I, I've known a couple, but I uh, haven't really heard their stories so much or what it was like growing up in Denmark. Uh, I imagine it's very cold and you're surrounded by all kinds of gnomes and trolls and and uh, other creatures like that. And, and uh, there's a lot of Vikings and Viking culture and skiing and uh, blonde-haired women. I don't know if I'm confusing that with other uh, Scandinavian lore or not. Uh, to be honest, I, I have no idea. But uh, we don't really go into that. Uh, we do go into how much I don't know about Danish culture a bit. Uh, especially because I don't even really know how to pronounce the name of her cooking studio, which, uh, hold on, I'm going to try to read it uh, again. I wrote it down phonetically just so I could try to say it. And, and you'll hear this again in the, in the interview, but it's uh, Mel Ohyuga. I, I think it's Mel Ohyuga. It reminds me actually a lot of, uh, I lived in Indonesia for about a year where they uh, used to have, they used to be a Dutch colony. Perhaps you know it. It's the Dutch East Indies is what it was called back back in the colonial days. And uh, I would like to go to the old Dutch part of the city um, sometimes to go eat. And there's a nice uh, cafe there. Uh, and they had some uh, Dutch dishes, um, which I couldn't pronounce. And so I'd point to the menu and I'd say, uh, yes, I'd like to eat the uh, the Witsmidgte. And they'd be like, uh, Appa, which means what? I'd be like, uh, the Witsmidgte, Witsmidgte, Witsmidgte. And would be like, I Basically, like, I don't know what you're saying. I'd be like, I'd point to it and they'd be like, uh, okay. I'd be like, am I saying that right? And they would just kind of shrug and be like, I don't know. I don't speak, I don't speak Dutch. And be like, yeah, all right. Yeah, I, I should have figured that one out. Anyways, we have nice conversations about stuff like that and uh, growing up in in Denmark. Um, I, you know, I, I would like to, other, other than starting off the podcast, introducing AK, which she did awesome. And I, I really appreciate her taking the time out to talk to me. Um, and I will link to her Facebook site, uh, in the show notes. If you go to the description, you'll be able to find her uh, website and you should be able to find a map there and not get lost. Like I initially did, even though, uh, I kind of know that area a little bit from having lived in Korea for two years. Um, I w- you know, it's kind of down a side street, uh, and there's a map and I should have looked that up beforehand, but in, in any case, uh, some of the, uh, things I'd like to talk about uh, before we kind of jump into this is is that despite the uh, large amount of support that I've received for last week's podcast interviewing the president of AKA Danny Maori, um, this week was a, a little bit of a, a sad week for me and I think for most people. And it, it's kind of been a rough start to 2016. Um, and of course, many of you already know um, what I'm talking about. And that's, of course, the, the passing of the legendary and highly influential and boundary pushing David Bowie. Uh, I'll talk a little bit more about this uh, and what he meant to me in the end of the podcast, but uh, I'll just uh, say that 
it was rough this week starting off waking up and uh and realizing that we lost such a such a legend and somebody who's touched uh, our lives so deeply and and through music uh david uh mr bowie he meant a lot to me i, I loved his music i still love his music uh I, I think that his passing comes still as a shock to me i'm kind of still working my way through it um i've been listening to a lot of his old hits again and uh trying to get into his newer album which i really love and is also you know extremely sad <laughs> looking looking back in retrospect on uh a man who clearly has been dealing and battling with cancer for uh for about 18 months is what i hear and has been playing it pretty close to the chest and and i guess has released this album the weekend before he died um as a goodbye and as as something for the fans of which i count myself as one um so that that's uh that's been kind of my week and of course the passing of also legendary screen actor uh alan rickman uh (laughs) this has just been a really it's been a rough week it's been a rough week um in general for the passing of celebrities and usually i wouldn't say uh I get too wrapped up in, in the celebrity culture. I don't follow the tabloids. I don't know who's pregnant or who's cheating on who or whatever. But uh, when you have people like that who, whose music and art have, have touched your lives very closely and influenced uh, you know your life, it, it's hard to see them go. It's hard to see your heroes die, I think. And uh, David Bowie was one of those heroes to me. He, to me, uh, made it seem like it was, it was okay to be strange. You know, I remember uh, listening to his music and watching him for the first time and I think, God, that guy is so unapologetically weird and pushing the boundaries and he doesn't care. Like, he, he, he knows that people are are judging him and he's, like, almost trolling them, being like, yeah, look at me, look at me. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about how how gloriously strange I am in an age uh, of, I, I don't know, intolerance? And it doesn't seem like the intolerance in this world has has come down. But, I mean, it must have, right? I mean, we have uh, marriage equality now among us, among other things. I mean, the world is changing, and I think it's because of people like uh, David Bowie that have helped that happen. Uh, with that, we are going to get started with this podcast, so uh, you guys can cheer up a little bit, and uh, we'll get back to the Debbie Downer stuff later. <laughs> I know last week I ended up with the Debbie Downer with the with the John Lennon song. For those of you who stuck around for that, um, and I appreciate it. So uh, here we are. We're going to get started with the interview with AK Soling, and I'll uh, talk to you again at the end of the podcast. But that's the good thing about Korea. There's so much free Wi-Fi. Yes, yeah. yeah. So it was pretty awesome. That's good. Yeah. 
Did you manage to find a SIM card or? Not yet. I, I So I stopped by a shop right before I came here and uh-huh. they were like, how long are you staying? I was like, three days. They were like, oh yeah, no, and <laughs> we don't have one for you. I was like, okay. Oh, but if you go to Soul Station or like some of the convenience stores, they have like uh, chargeable SIM cards. You can yeah. buy like one for 10,000 one mm-hmm. with uh, data. It's all I need. Yeah, it's all I need. exactly. But now I'm like, maybe I don't need it. I don't know. Maybe. Because I'm only, so yeah, I am only here like for three days, yeah, and there yeah. is so Wi-Fi, much free Wi-Fi yeah. that it's easy to find and mm-hmm. get around and stuff. Sure. How long has this place been open? Since March. Since it's, March? Yeah. Okay. So it's been a while. Business is good? It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, it looks like a, a kitchen in here. It looks like... You know, a home, yeah. which is really nice. Do people come in thinking it's like your own private kitchen or something? No. Um, so Koreans that walk in, they're like, oh, it's so pretty. <laughs> it's so pretty. And some people take pictures. Or So it's actually not a cafe. It's, um, it's a place where I teach um, people how to make Korean food and, okay. food and cakes. So it's like an introduction to Danish culture through food. Uh-huh. Um, so you cook Danish food mm-hmm. primarily in here. And um, for Koreans, a lot of Koreans interested in Denmark these days. Really? Because, don't be so surprised. I, mean, I, I don't mean that insultingly. <laughs> but um, for many, many reasons, but it's usually the younger Koreans. They're fed up with Korea and like all the expectations and the pressure. Yeah. They read about Danish um, social welfare uh-huh. and... Um, I don't know if you read like the happiness evaluations, but Denmark was number one or top five yeah, in the yeah. last five years. We know like Finland is up there. Yeah, Finland and Sweden. So the Scandinavian yeah. countries um, are very happy. <laughs> <laughs> Koreans, they're very unhappy in general. If There's a lot just, of pressure here. Yeah, if you talk to Koreans, they're so dissatisfied with the jobs or their mother-in-law whatever, whatever. <laughs> it's like so they're so going to run away to Denmark is the plan a lot are actually going to Denmark especially the younger people they either go as exchange students or they uh, they go on working holiday visa okay um, because they just want to check out and they want to yeah. go to a place where there are no other Koreans <laughs> So, um, that's, yeah. That's really interesting. So they're, like, getting tired of the homogeny of Korea. They want to see other people and get yes, out there. Yes, Interesting. Yeah. And, but I think it's, it's very typical. Like, a lot of them travel to Denmark or Scandinavia, and when you travel, you only see the positive sides. Yeah. You don't see the negativity, or you only have, like, wonderful experiences. So I think a lot of the people I met who are... Who, who are gonna go or went to Denmark, they're gonna be surprised. Because yeah. there's always like a backside to all the prettiness. Sure. It's not all a vacation. No. And these days Europe is a hard country it's a hard place to emigrate to. Oh well, yeah, I guess so, with all the refugee issues yeah. going on there right now. Most of Europe is moving <clears throat> to the right. Like yeah. quite yeah. racist, Sweden, Denmark and Real even Sweden and Denmark? Especially Sweden and Denmark. That's interesting, because yeah. I heard a lot about, like, Germany, for instance. Yeah. Um, but I haven't heard a lot about, like, yeah, Sweden, Denmark, Finland, okay. uh, Norway, I guess. Norway, not... I mean, it's interesting, because Norway has always been racist. Really? It's very, um... 
but in a different way than Sweden and in a different way from Denmark. In what way? It's just like Norway, it's just like they're self-sufficient, they're super rich and it's a very white society. Yeah. Um, they don't have a lot of migration or immigration, I think, um, but it's just like a smaller, very homogenous society. So I think it's, it's quite difficult to stand out. It, it's whiter in Denmark, or it's whiter in Norway than it is in Denmark or, or Sweden? I think Sweden among the three would be the most multicultural. Because, really? Yeah, because the, um, the refugee or immigration policy is, um, is more like liberal than Denmark. Uh -huh. Denmark is very, very strict. Um, but I th the, the racism in Sweden is harsher and it's more open. Oh, okay. Yeah, so like they have I, like open like gangs or groups? Yeah, like um, I feel like it was the last week, two refugee asylums were set on fire. What? And um, yeah, I think it was within the same week and like um, this week, was it today, like um, a gypsy camp was uh -huh. like torn apart by the police and but the people are probably gonna be housed somewhere. Mm -hmm. But it's just um, the tolerance in Sweden is very low these days because Sweden is taking a lot more refugees and immigrants in Denmark. I see. Um, and because of the Danish immigration law, a lot of Danes who married people from other countries actually moved to Sweden. Huh. Because um, they couldn't fulfill the requirements in Denmark, so they moved to Sweden. Huh. That's really interesting. Yeah. So what is there... What do you know there the background of the policy on adoption and international adoption from like Korea or China or other countries? Hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? <laughs> <laughs> in Denmark, so the adoption landscape in Denmark is changing these days um, because a few years ago, um, one there was a documentary that was shown about. Um, an Ethiopian girl. She uh -huh. was adopted. She's not Chinese or Korean, but yeah, that's okay. Like the same rules apply anyway. Sure. So there was um, a horrible case shown on television, on mm -hmm. national television, and I think it's the first time the Danish population realized adoption is just not happiness and happy ever after. And there's another case about a girl also from Ethiopia, I think, who. Um, it turns out that her mother in Ethiopia never gave consent. So oh, okay. She's, yeah. She, yeah. So she's like basically kidnapped. Yeah, there are like these cases. So now, like the politicians were forced to do something, but they actually didn't do anything until one of two adoption agencies in Denmark um, was investigated by the um, national uh, what do you call it? National accounting system. Like um, like an IRS type yeah, agency. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot of mess in, in their finances and stuff. Okay. And that led to the uh, government finally looking into the whole adoption system. Yeah. So last week, um, a bill was proposed to change the system, but it's not really changing anything. It's like cosmetic on, on old things. Like a lipstick lipstick on pig. Yeah, exactly. So there are two adoption agencies in Denmark and they're gonna be one. But you take the same people 
and uh-huh. make one agency. They're just merging. Yes. Yeah. And then you're gonna put um, governmental supervision mm-hmm. um, by a neutral um, authority, but that authority is also gonna be part of that agency. So it's actually huh. a conflict of interest. During the process um, that led up to the bill, um, the different adoption groups um, of Korean adoptees in Denmark, they were actually heard. In Denmark, we have like public hearings when the, mm-hmm. there's a bill on the way. How many adoptee groups in Denmark are there? Korean adoptees are three. Okay. Uh, one is quite old, um, the Korea Club. Uh-huh. It was formed 25 years ago. I think they just had their 25th anniversary. Okay. And then there are um, spin-offs of that group, um, mm-hmm. I think Tank, with researchers. And, okay. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's like serious. It's quite serious. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's people like researchers, uh, PhDs, hold, PhD holders, and um, the um, the former president of the Korea Club. She used to. She was the president for almost twenty years or something. Oh, what Lisa was her Lode. what was her name? Lisa Lode. Yeah, 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 I remember her. Yeah, so she's part of the think tank as well. Okay. And then there's um, adoption political forum, and they are also kind of like political. Mm-hmm. Um, so they actually were invited in for a meeting during the legislation process, um, but they weren't actually heard. Okay. Um, so the landscape in Denmark is that the politicians tend to listen to the groups that represent um, the parents, and yeah. the bill very much reflects that. Um, mm. But adoptions from Korea to Denmark, I'm pretty sure they don't take place anymore. Um, China, in general, I think. I'm not sure, I haven't looked into it, but it seems to me like the numbers have gone down as well uh-huh. um, because of uh, bureaucracy and there have been some cases from China. Um, so I think maybe 10 years ago, China was the new big um, providing country. Right, but yeah. These days, like within the last maybe five, 10 years, it's been Ethiopia, Somalia, Huh. Like the African countries. African countries, yeah. Because people look at the wait lists and they go, okay, so this country, the wait list is so long, but I can get a cute little African baby from, like, Somalia. Is there, is there a lot of impact or anything from, uh, like, Angelina Jolie and adopting African babies or any other celebrity couples adopting babies, like Madonna? I'm not sure. I, it's difficult for me to... Like one, I'm here, and two, I'm not sure people in Denmark think that way. Okay. Um, they don't look up to like celebrities as role models as much as the U.S. does. Some do, but not in the same way. Yeah. It's, it's I think we're quite like relaxed about celebrities stuff. In a healthy way. <laughs> it sounds much healthier. Yeah. <laughs> as, a, as a cultural... I can see why Denmark is so happy now. <laughs> All right, well, let, let's go back a little bit. Let's go back uh, to your personal story. So who are you also known as before you went to Denmark? Before I went to Denmark, my Korean name was Kim Dongja. Kim Dongja. Yeah. Okay. And... Um, I was about a year and a half when I was adopted to Denmark. Um, you were born in Seoul? Good question. 
No, no? I'm not sure. Yeah. Because I'm from Holt. And okay. my information... I'm also from Holt. <laughs> Yay, brother. No, my information is very similar to information I've seen in a lot of Holt files. Yeah. Like, a lot. Um, so, you know, I... It could be true, but I seriously doubt it. Do you mind describing a little bit of that? It says I was found by um, a bypasser. There's a very specific address uh -huh. where I was found, and it was in Yongdunpu. And I was found by a bypasser in the morning that took me to the police station. Mm -hmm. um, then I was... Um, from the police, I went to the uh, Seoul uh, Children's Babies Hospital, City's Baby Hospital. That was kind of like an intake place for the police to handle the babies. Uh -huh. And from there, I went to hold. Okay. Um, and then, as far as I know, I, I spent time with two foster families here. Okay. And that's kind of it. At least the last foster family, I'm pretty sure, of because um, I have a bunch of photos they took and a letter they gave me to my adoptive parents. Have you uh, been in touch with them since moving back? No, no they're actually Americans. They're, they were oh, really? American Baptists. Um, Living in Seoul? Yeah. Okay. And I did find one of their many, many own children on Facebook, and he's in his 50s now, and I actually sent him a message some years uh -huh. ago, but he never replied. Okay. And that's fair. I mean... Yeah, sure. Um, or maybe he just doesn't check his other books. <laughs> could, could be that, too. You don't know. But you never know with the yeah, online, but, I guess, right? Yeah, but, you know, his parents... <laughs> That were my foster parents. They took in maybe like a whole bunch of foster children. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, um, it might be unpleasant for him to ha be hunted down by them like many many years later. Maybe he's got like a ton of Facebook messages from all kinds yes. of foster brothers and sisters. <laughs> I yeah, yeah. I, like, I don't remember. There were so many. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, so I'm pretty sure that's true. That I was in that foster family, and uh -huh. before that. Um, I was fostered by a friend of that foster family that was also an American, uh, probably also Baptist missionary. Mm -hmm. And then you were adopted and through Holt. I was adopted through Holt to Denmark. Okay. And then, so from one and a half on, what was life in Denmark like? Well, I think, like, on one hand, it was, like, fairly normal. Um... I grew up with um, two siblings, two sisters, my adoptive parents' birth children, mm -hmm. um, one younger, one older, and um, I went to school in a, I, we lived in a, like, very average town in Denmark. Like, what's that, what's that like? It's very small. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been to Denmark. Denmark is very small. It's like five million people total. Okay. So it's like, that's... Half the size of this. A little bit bigger than like New York, right? Yes. Um, and like an average town in Denmark is maybe 10, 15,000 people. Okay. Yeah. So that was kind of like how it was. And so you, wait, so you were the only adoptee in, amongst mm -hmm. all biological children? Yep. So what was the impetus for, do, have you ever asked your parents why you were adopted? No, we never really discussed that, but um, I know, or maybe they did tell me, but in those days, in the 70s, it was kind of like a trend in Europe yeah. to have an adopted child. Um, I don't know if you've seen Approved for Adoption. 
Belgium adoptees no. animation, you should watch that. It's oh, yeah? really, really good. It describes it quite well. Okay. But it was kind of like a thing. Um, it's like a fad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't go away. <laughs> it wasn't quite like the dogs and the purses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, my parents actually had requested a handicapped child from India, but they were sold out. They so were sold out. I said, sorry. We don't have any in stock right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my parents were like very young when they decided to adopt. Mm-hmm. And I think they might have started the process before they actually had birth children of their own. But um, they knew that they could have um, birth children, so it's not because they were like childless. Or yeah, yeah. But anyways, um, they were, I arrived in, so they were 25 when they got me, and by then they already had um, their first birth child, and she's a year and a half older than I am. Okay. And then the year after I came, they had my younger sister. So they were really, really young. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they, they were like, um, when you're in that age, and especially in that time, it's like, you're like, um, you have ideologies and you want to save the world, and maybe they came before Angelina Jolie, I don't know. <laughs> Probably a bit before Angelina Jolie. Yeah, <laughs> just a little bit, but it's kind of like the same thought. She just has like the means to actually do many of them. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah maybe it's uh, idealistic yes. thinking that you could like kind of like save this save savior people. thing that people. Do you think there's like a messiah complex going on with adoptive parents that they can save children? Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of adoptive parents, and I think I've seen a lot of quotes of from adoptive parents saying, "Oh, we just wanted to do a good thing," mm-hmm. and then like they read like what they saw about adopt or these orphans or whatever, and yeah, I think a lot of um, adoptive parents themselves they wouldn't call it charity but it's kind of like in the same you know it comes from the same place yeah i think so yeah so were you involved was there any opportunity growing up in denmark to explore adoption at all like camps or heritage things on the weekends or anything nothing at all no no um there are actually a lot of korean adoptees in denmark compared to our total population Mm -hmm. so now i think there are about nine thousand. That, yeah, it's a lot. That's significant. It's quite many. Um, but when I grew up, I mean, there were like a few other Korean adoptees in my town, but I I saw them around, but I never discussed adoption with them. Mm-hmm. I wasn't very aware of being different or adopted or stuff like that until maybe I was 12, maybe. And my adoptive father took me to a meeting for... Um, helped by the adoptive parents group, and so they had like these. So they had they had a group. Yeah, yeah, like get-togethers, and yeah. they probably had been having them for a while, but we never attended uh-huh. because my parents they were very scared of anything that had to do with actually adoption or um, acknowledging that I came from here or yeah. Like, so they just want to raise you as a Danish yeah, kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. and their kid. Yeah, exactly. So you didn't explore any discussions with them about race or adoption or being different? 
No, it kind of like happened in a different way because um, as I mentioned before, I was the only adopted child and my parents yep. were quite young and um, they they kind of handled me or whatever in a um, very unfortunate way. Okay. Um, so How so? Um, I think they, it's all like retrospective because we never really, really discussed it. But I think they, among them, um, decided that I had problems. Okay. <laughs> and Dif- different, separate, different, separate from your, the problems of your siblings. Yes, uh, that. Did prob- you problems that had to do with me being adopted? They assumed I had thoughts or whatever about being adopted that I didn't discuss with them. Uh-huh. Did you? No, no, no. Actually, no. <laughs> Um, but it kind of escalated, and the thing is, my my adopted parent, she is a child specialist. Okay. She's um, back in the day, she was a preschool teacher, and then later she was um, educated um, as a teacher for like children with special needs. Uh huh. And um, that's so funny. My mom, my mom did that for a long oh, time. Really? Yeah, she did it uh, in high school. She was a. a she wasn't a teacher. She was a teacher's aide for special needs kids. All oh, right. That's so funny. Yeah. And he's a doctor. Okay. And he was also a school doctor at the different schools. Uh-huh. Um, so on paper, they were perfect. But I think um, maybe their professional backgrounds actually was a huge like hindrance for them because they over maybe overinterpreted things. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the end their professional backgrounds and their renome um, stopped them from seeking professional help. Because they thought they could solve it all? Yes, and they they were kind of like known as the Mr. and Mrs. Doctor, which is not as fancy as it might be in other countries because it's a public... uh, Hospitals are public and doctors are publicly financed. Okay. So it's not like they're super rich or whatever, but still, like most people in town knew who they were. Um, and they didn't want like the whole facade to crack. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so they concluded I had problems connect, like relating to them or connecting to them. I was like very introverted and like very a loner when I was a child. But you don't attribute that to being adopted, though. It's just your personality. Was, probably. Um, but I think my home environment didn't really encourage. A change, mm-hmm. um, and from the moment my parents kind of concluded that I had issues, it just escalated from there, um, and it escalated into a point where they were so frustrated with me that it kind of ended in like uh, mental and physical abuse um, during many many years. Really? How many years? From what ages? Do you mind? No, I don't mind, but I'm trying to remember. It's so many years ago now. So like high school? Oh, no, way way younger. Younger? Way younger. Elementary and middle school? I think uh, we don't really do middle and elementary school. It's just like you started grade zero and um, you graduate at um, grade ninth or tenth. Okay. And then you go to high school for three years. Oh, okay. Yeah. So anyways, I guess I was like seven when they sat me down and said um, I was actually harassing them. I was 
doing like mental terror on them. What, did they say how? And I was, you know, I was, I, I think I was seven. So, but it's kind of like a pretty overwhelming uh, conversation. Sure, at seven. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm not sure I actually understood what they meant. But, yeah. um, they didn't tell you, like, this is how you're mentally torturing us? No, no, no. I don't think so. But that came later. And then, yeah, so it kind of escalated from there. They had a lot of expectations uh, to me that I would be more similar, like, my sisters. Because uh-huh. they're, like, very, like, very similar to um, my adopted parents, of course. Um, and I was, like... Behaviorally? Like the personalities and the behavior, behaviors. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's kind of like, okay, I'm different. So let's acknowledge that. But we didn't. Uh-huh. It was just like you should be more like this. You should be more like this. Don't be like this. Uh-huh. Um, so it's it's actually quite hard to be told not to be who you are. Right. Yeah. Um, and. I don't know, I guess I'm also pretty stubborn and like strong-minded, so sometimes I tried to, I attempted to give them what they wanted, but you know, I, I think I was, I, I kind of knew it, it wasn't working, like you can't be like faking yeah. being something or somebody you're not and without really knowing what it is they want. Well, how was their personality, your, your sisters, was it more like outgoing and... Um, a lot more like um, sporty. Um, they did like a lot of sports, and um, my older sister, she's a, a lot more. And also my younger sister turned out a lot more like mathematical thinking, uh-huh. like uh, my adoptive father, and I'm like more in the language brain kind of side. Yeah, um, yeah. So is that the right side of the brain? I, I can't remember. Uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> you don't I remember how that remember. works. So it's just like very opposite. Sure. Um, so they took after the doctor teacher yes. kind of side. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No cooking. No cooking. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. So, are, how did, do you mind saying how that manifested later with the physical and emotional abuse? It's just like. Um, a lot of like unhappiness, a lot of screaming, yeah. and a lot of like. I was. We were alone quite often. Who? Um, you and your sisters? Me and my sisters with my adopted mother uh-huh. because my adopted father would commute quite far. Oh, yeah. Um, and leave the house, and then he would come home to a very unhappy atmosphere. Okay. Because my adopted mother <clears throat> would have invented, I would say, some kind of incident that she would be nagging me about or beating me up about or, um, and then in the evening when my adoptive father would come home, she would complain to him, oh, she did this or this and she said this or didn't say this. She would just, like, make up situations and scenarios? And, you know what, I'm sure that she felt it. Mm -hmm. Because what, why else would you like live like that for so many years. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure she felt it, but communication was just not. It wasn't communicated to me in a positive way exactly what they expected or yeah how we could fix it together because mm-hmm. it just like escalated really really fast. Okay. Um, 
but it was just like really messy. Um, but at some point, and I'm not sure I remember like exactly how old I was, but at some point it was like daily, like daily scenarios around the dinner table, and it would just escalate and. At the end of dinner, like the table would be like flipped over me with stuff on, or like I would be thrown across the kitchen. Or... What? Like every day? Yeah. Jeez. So, yeah. What age was this at? I would guess 10, 11. Wow. Because I ran away <laughs> the first time when I was 13. The so, first time? There were multiple times? Yeah, so. And that by then it had been going on for a while. So I would say 11, maybe. So where did you go when you would run away? Oh, so the first time was after one of those incidents with my adopted mother. Uh-huh. And I was so shocked that just, I just ran out the door to yeah. a friend's house. But then I went home later. Oh, yeah. Um, it was pretty cold, and I ran out without my jacket. <laughs> how, how was it when you got back? Was it they were still mad at you when you came back from your friend's house? Kind of like a mix of relief, oh, you came home and where did you go? And kind of like still anger about the incident that led to me running away, but it kind of like calmed things for a few days. Okay. Um, but, you know, it's not like it. But it didn't, didn't last. No. Because you ran away again. <laughs> I ran again, away again later, maybe when I was 15. Uh huh. Like just for one night. Um, and that was crazy. Then they were really angry. Where'd you go that time? Um, actually, I intended to stay and just run away, but um, I went to Copenhagen, the capital, because yeah. it's kind of like the biggest city we have. Sure. But it's still quite small. And it was also in the winter, so I wasn't actually sure what my intentions, or I had no plan. No plan. <laughs> just get away. Yeah. Did you at least bring your coat this time? I had a coat. Okay, so um, yeah. you learned from the last time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think I called an aunt in the morning or something that picked me up. Or I called home uh-huh. and they called my aunt or something. But that was, yeah. that was. Did your aunt live in Copenhagen? Yeah, oh, right okay. close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she picked you up and brought you back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what was the next time? that Did you run away again after oh, that? Oh, no, that was the last time. And then... And then when, you ran away permanently to college. Um, when I was 16, I visited my parents' house the last time. Uh-huh. Um, I was sent to a school. In Denmark, we have a system. We have, like, different, like, um, kind of schools that are kind of like boarding school, but uh-huh. not as strict as boarding school. So, yeah, do you wear a uniform or no uniform? No uniform. It's so like not very, that strict. <laughs> no, no, no. It's very, very laid back. And um, one kind of those, actually, there are two kinds. And they're more focused on, um, what would you say, like personal development. Or, okay. But it's also like schools where all like the problem kids are sent by the city if they can't place them in foster families anymore. You know, uh-huh. like a mix. But... Also, a lot of healthy children go there to like explore sports or art or if like whatever they want to do or take a break before high school. Or, okay. Yeah. So I went to school like that, and I never came home again. So is that? Do you feel like that was a better environment for you to be in than at home with your adoptive family, where you were experiencing those awful things every day? 
Yeah, anywhere was better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you, it was better for the for both of you then. Yes, definitely. And then you went to college after that. I, yeah, then I went to high school. So that school. Oh, so was, that's not technically high school. No, school? that was for tenth grade. Okay. It's like you're not um, obligated to take the tenth grade, um, but you can, and it's either for students that are not um, that didn't get the grades um, when they took the finals at the ninth grade uh-huh. to continue, or it's for people who wanna take a rest before high school or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I took the 10th grade there and then I went to high school. Okay. Mm. And then high school is three years long. <laughs> high school, I think I studied six months and then I quit because I was super confused. And oh yeah. I was like a mess. So I've always been like very bookish and a fast learner. So uh-huh. it wasn't like the content of the classes. I actually found it really interesting. But um, at that point, I was so fucked up. I was so confused yeah. about what actually happened and what was the direction my life should take. Yeah. I was just yeah. really confused. It's totally understandable. Yeah. So I dropped out of high school and I cleaned for a few years. Okay. Um, and then I looked at the other cleaning ladies and I was like, okay, I'm not going to like them because they were like, pretty harsh and bitter and like just like very worn down sure and it's not like a dream profession and at that time I was maybe 17 or uh-huh. 18 so I decided to go back to high school okay and so you can do that at 18 you can go back to high school in Denmark yeah so yeah 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 definitely and there are like two kind of systems for graduating high school there's the three year that most people do and then if you have some kind of um, work experience or if you're older, you can take a two-year program. Oh, okay. So that's what I did. All right. Yeah. So you did a two-year high school program. I don't know how the Danish system works in education. No, I, I don't know if it's years. obvious or not. I have no idea. So <laughs> Thank okay. you. Uh, so you go to a two-year high school, and at that point, are you... Do you feel like you're still working out a lot of uh, adoption issues that you can't really... There's no outlet for? It was... um, I wasn't working out anything. I was just like a very big mess inside. And Mm -hmm. I think I wasn't really dealing with it. Um, Mind-wise, I was either like um, in a trance or I was... um, What do you say? Like blocking it out? Yeah. Because... For a few years, actually, I couldn't. I knew I didn't see my family, but um, I I actually couldn't remember why. So, in the beginning of my twenties, it kind of came back to me. But so you just repressed like all of yeah, those memories. Yeah, totally. Yeah, repressed is the word. Yeah. Yeah. You you don't even remember why you ran away. No. Wow. That's really interesting because it seems like you have a very vivid memory and and yes. I understandably why. Yeah. And you just didn't remember any of that. No. It's really interesting. <laughs> that is really very interesting. It is. Um, so after you finish high school, so okay, so in high school, when you're in high school, is it like, do you study specific things or do they just tell you this is the course that you're going to take? These days the system is very different, but in my time at that system I did, 
um, there are like specific courses, and then you can choose additional courses. Okay, um, like electives. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what electives did you choose? Um, English, math, and French, but I quit French because the teacher was annoying. <laughs> and then, yeah, English, math, and biology. Okay. Yeah. So I like. So you did end up going the math and science kind of route in high school a little bit. Yes, I was. I I think I was kind of like at some point when I was younger, I told myself, I don't know math. Uh huh. And maybe it was kind of like a little protest to like all the math brains in my family, but um, I just decided I'm not good at math, and that kind of sat with me for quite a while. But then I guess in high school I kind of felt I needed to prove something mm-hmm. to myself. Maybe. How'd you do? Did you get A's? Maybe not A's in math, <laughs> 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 but it wasn't bad. Okay. Yes. So you did okay? Yeah. And then I had proved to myself, okay, I'm not stupid, I know math, (laughs) biology, and those kind of things. Good. So you you got past that hurdle. Yes, I did. (laughs) So what what after high school? Then I went to law school. Oh, geez. That's that's like advanced, I feel like, to go straight from like high school to law school. But, so that's the system in Denmark. It's very different from the college system you have. Yeah. Um, in Denmark, when you enter university, usually you will choose your major right away. Uh-huh. And then the first three years, you study your bachelor. But uh-huh. it's within your major. Okay. And then you qualify to continue for master because you need a master. You need to graduate with a master. For... If you, if you want to work in your field. If you want to do anything in yeah, your field. if you just have a bachelor, um, not a lot of people are going to hire you. Really? Yeah. So what do people with just a bachelor's degree do in Denmark? Choose some kind of master. <laughs> 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 they figure out something else to learn as a master's degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you're like a law student or a med student or whatever, then it's a given. But if you study languages or... Um, like uh, anthropology or something, then you can you can combine your masters of different like subjects. Wow. Yeah, but if you study like law or med, then it's kind of like set. Then you just take those courses. So you took the law school route. Yeah. So how long? Is, so is that you do your bachelor's for three years, and then you get your master's in law, or do you go to law school? It's like a separate, like you get your. JD or something. You study a bachelor for three years, uh-huh. and then of course there are like tests on the way. Yeah. And then if you pass your bachelor, um, then you continue to your master. It's yeah. Two years, two two and a half. Years. So two years. Yeah. So and then you're like practicing five. law in Denmark after that. I um I worked for the for the public administration. Okay. For twelve years before I came here. And then you moved out here. So what prompted you to move to Korea after 12 years of public administration law? 12 years of public administration law? <laughs> <laughs> you said, I've had enough of this, yeah. I'm going to Korea. Have you, did you visit Korea at all uh, during those 12 years? Yes. So in 1999, so my whole dealing with adoption and stuff like that, um, I wasn't very like aware of adoption or dealing with that because I had a lot of other stuff to deal with. Sure. Obviously. So, but in uh, when I was a student, 
I worked in a shop and there was another Korean adoptee and um, at that time she also just like discovered her Korean heritage. Mm -hmm. So she had been to Korea, she had a Korean adopted boyfriend and she was like involved. In Denmark? Yeah. And um, she was involved with the group Korea at the Korea Club. Okay. And so she introduced me to that oh, okay. atmosphere. So that's when you started getting involved. Yeah. Um, and then through that organization, I was offered a whole um, summer school trip. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I'm a student. I never travel. Sounds cheap. Okay, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> and so I actually, I didn't have a lot of deeper thoughts about, oh, okay, I'm going back to Korea for the first time or anything. Yeah. But I came and I participated in the program. And it was really interesting and a great experience. And um, I was here for a month and a half that summer. And then I came home and I was super depressed. And I was like trying to figure out, okay, what is all this about? And I just had a great trip, but hey, there's something more. So I got really involved with the Korea Club. And uh -huh. I worked for Korean employees in Denmark at that time, stuff like that. Um, so 99. I traveled here and then I didn't come back until 2010 when I was backpacking Japan for a month and I came to Korea four days and mm -hmm. I was like, Jesus, it's so dirty here, I'm gonna go back to Japan. <laughs> and then I moved here in 2013. Despite it being dirty? Yes. <laughs> I still really like Japan, I like clean. But, um, you know, there's a different like connection with Korea compared to Japan or any other country. Yeah, of perhaps. course. Um, but I think one of the reasons I didn't travel to Korea a lot in between is because the thought of maybe living here was sitting like maybe subconsciously with me. Mm -hmm. Because when I got more involved with Korean adoptees, um, a lot of my friends actually lived in Korea and like on and off. Yeah. And I was kind of like jealous, but also thinking that's not possible for me. I don't know why, but it's just not doable. They're all like these obstacles in the way, and yeah, it's easy for them. Or, but no, I I have to like get a regular job and try and live a regular life. What kind of obstacles? Just it's just like um, the job, or no? Yeah, I, I'm like um, I'm like a very what do you say? I always like fulfill my obligations mm -hmm. and I was like oh so I studied all these years and in Denmark all education is free unless you attend a private school but most schools are public so okay. law school is free as well and it's like oh I I got like this university degree and I should give back to society by working and like do my duty and mm -hmm. blah 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 and um, but then I traveled a lot to other places in between but it was just like all in my mind and I think it was a question of um, me moving here. It was a question of that thought maturing in my mind and that took quite a while. Yeah. Mm. So when you moved to Korea finally, what did you start doing as a job? I worked for Gold. Okay. Um, right away actually because, um, so I was very active with Korean adoptees in Denmark until mm. 2002 maybe and then I was fed up <laughs> <laughs> so a few years like three years or something that specifically with Danish adoptees or just Korean adoptees in general or just Korea I kind of like threw myself in there because it was like 
my trip to here in 99 kind of like opened that whole thing. Sure. And then it was like very intense for a while. Yeah. So I attended a lot of meetings. I was on the board for the organization. Um, I worked for a Korean restaurant. I worked for the Korea Trade Center. And it was just like a lot of Koreanness. All the time. Yes, which is great. But yeah. then I just felt like I needed to step back from sure. that. Because when you're in that, it's not just like doing things for the organization or doing things for your employee. It's also dealing with that all the time, that mm -hmm. part of yourself all the time. Yeah. And since it hadn't really, it hadn't really bothered me a lot before, um, then it just became very like overwhelming to be a Korean adoptee all the time and like reflecting on that or listening to others or. So I, I really pulled out of that um, for 10 years or more. Mm -hmm. And then before coming here, um, like very randomly, I knew that goal was looking for people. And then I was like, I don't want to apply. I don't want to work with Korean adoptees. And then one of my Korean adoptee friends in Denmark, was like, okay, you should totally apply. I was like, ah, okay, so I applied and then I, I got it. Um, so it's not like a full-time position or even a position, it's more like paid volunteer work. Yeah. Um, but then it's quite a lot of work. You know goals. <laughs> yeah. There's always so many things. So what were you doing uh, as a paid volunteer at Goal? I primarily help people get the F4 visa and dual citizenship. Okay, yeah. Because it was kind of like within my field and not. and um, So I did that and then they um, they run First Trip Home, which is kind of like a mm -hmm. motherland tour yeah. that we all worked on. So that was kind of like um, birth family search for adoptees who have never been to Korea before, mm -hmm. and tourist guides and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and then a lot of like um, event planning and stuff mm -hmm. like that. How long did you stay with Goal? Are you are you still involved? No, I. Worked from August 13 until was it last spring? Okay. Yeah. I was studying Korean um, as well full time, so it was quite a handful. Oh yeah, yeah. So I stopped working for Goal, and I was like determined to study Korean like intensely and be really good at Korean, and then I stopped studying. <laughs> <laughs> so how is your Korean? Is it good? Is it like amazing Korean right now? Or did you, did you get so fed up you're like I don't want to learn anymore? It comes and goes. I would say my Korean is intermediate. I studied up until level three. Like, I studied level three. Yeah. And then you can kind of get by. And, I mean, you can survive. Um, you must be doing pretty good if you opened up a, your own shop and you're teaching Koreans how to cook Danish food. I, I have a part-timer, uh, a Korean student. Oh, yeah? And she helps me with stuff that's too difficult. From, like, Hongdae or... She, um, no, she's studying Korean, uh, no, Scandinavian languages. Oh, okay. So her major is Scandinavian languages. It's at, um, wait, um, Korea University of Foreign Studies or some foreign languages. Cool. Yeah. Well, that's that must be pretty exciting for her. So she planning on going to Denmark pretty soon then? I'm actually not sure. She travels all the time when she can, so oh, yeah. probably at some point she's going to go to Denmark. But I think she she finds it interesting because 
because it's related to Denmark and um, we don't speak Danish together because her, I'm not sure how good her Danish is, uh-huh. but she's quite modest about it. Um, but her career, her English is really, really good, so we speak English. Okay. Um, but she's definitely interested, and I think I hope she enjoys working for me because I'm a Danish person, and our work style is very different compared to a Korean company. Yeah. She can yeah. work from home, and she only comes in if I if we need to look into something together. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you just text her and ask her to look into something, and then she texts me back when she's got the result. And I remember during her interview, she was like, "But she asked me, but how are you gonna keep track of my hours if I'm if you don't see me? Because in Korea, it's very much about being there yeah, in yeah. the office, even if you're not actually producing anything." Um, and then I told her, "But that's your task. You tell me how many hours you spend on this." In the beginning, I gave her guidelines and said, oh, you could spend about an hour on this. But these days, uh, because I know she's really efficient and she's not watching YouTube for seven hours, <laughs> you know, then I just ask her, please do this, and I need it by this and this day. And uh-huh. she always delivers. All right. Well, that sounds like a pretty solid employee. <laughs> yeah, she's really, really good. Yeah, she's really good. Uh, so when did you get the idea to open up this, uh, this, what would you call this, a cooking school? Cooking studio. Cooking studio? Yes. Okay, so this is called Mad Dog Cooking Studio. Mel O'Hugan. Huh? Mel O'Hugan. Mel O'Hugan? Yeah. <laughs> is that, that's, that must be Danish. It's Danish. It means food and coziness. Okay, so not Mad Dog. No, no, no. I'm reading that way wrong. <laughs> I, I read it in, in Korean and I was like, like, Matt, is this supposed to be a play on words? Like, Mad Dog? No, no, no. <laughs> Way off the mark. Okay. Yeah, yes. How do you say it? Mel O'Hugge. Mel O'Hugge? Yeah. Okay. Do you want to spell out the website for anybody that wants to visit it? www.madoghyge.com. <laughs> <laughs> So wait, so M A D O G H Y G G E dot com. You could see how I would want to say Mad Dog. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that before, though. <laughs> I think you should make a new logo with an angry dog cooking Danish food. <laughs> oh, maybe yeah. What are What are examples of Danish food that you that you make here? It's so um, the essence of the food here is like um, typical dinner food. It's potatoes, some kind of meat, some kind of sauce. Okay. It's like um, the food I grew up with and what my grandmothers would cook. And, um, Were you close with your grandmothers? No. and they <laughs> But if they could cook that, that's what they would cook? Yes. Okay. You know, like everybody loved their grandmother's food. Yeah, it, of course. I guess it's kind of like universal. Yeah. So yeah. that's how Because it it's very, like, I feel like grandmother's food feels very homely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like homemade. There's a lot of love in it. Yes. A lot of butter. <laughs> <laughs> is there a lot of butter in Danish food? Butter and cream and milk. So Denmark is... It sounds delicious. <laughs> it is. It's very good. So um, it's a very big pork country. We produce a lot of pork. Yeah? So there's a lot of pork. I'm going to Denmark. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, a lot of pork and a lot of dairy products. We produce a lot of milk as well. Okay. Um, and I knew I recently found out it's very similar to Dutch food. I have a Dutch friend who comes here every week, actually. Uh-huh. 
And she's like, oh, we have this in the Netherlands. Oh, this is Danish? We have this too. <laughs> so it's quite interesting. And then, yeah. because I also talk a lot about Danish culture, she's like, oh, we say that in the Netherlands too. <laughs> so it's quite interesting because I never knew that. And I don't think a lot of Danish people know that our culture and our food is quite close it's to the very Dutch. similar. Yeah. Yeah. Because we are always comparing to Sweden or Norway or... Right, yeah. Yeah. All the Nordic cultures. Exactly. Well, that's awesome. Mm. So, did you always cook? Or was this a new passion for you? I kind of baked. I baked in Denmark as a hobby. And I've always enjoyed cooking. Um, but not like... Some, some people who cook as a hobby are really, really good. Yeah. Um, I never... I never... Word that good like some people can cook almost like Michelin star dinners in their that's, home that's pretty good kitchen but I, I can't but um, my closest friends are chefs and involved with the whole like chef restaurant uh-huh. scene in Denmark um, and I always had a great interest for food um, so actually I decided to open this place when I saw the space okay I didn't go look for a space with mm-hmm. this in mind. I came with a friend who wanted to do a bookshop. And <laughs> all three, there are like three rooms in this row, and uh-huh. they were up for rent at the same time. And um, then I saw like the cabinets and the sink was here, and I was like, oh, there's a kitchen. I should do like Scandinavian cooking here. <laughs> so it just popped in your head, just yeah. automatic inspiration. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So you've been open for six months and you're doing all right? You I'm doing okay. an assistant or an employee that is very efficient for you? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Have you, while you've been in Korea, have you ever uh, done a birth search or anything like that? You had mentioned you were kind of working all that stuff when you were working for Goal. Have you done that yourself? I've kind of, because to be honest, I'm not that interested in finding my Korean family mm-hmm. for many, many reasons. Um, for a lot of my Korean adoptive friends or Korean adoptees I met, it's just like, it's a feeling, it's a loss, it's something they can't define, but yeah. it's really defining their entire existence or mm-hmm. just like small parts of it, but it's always with them. For me, when I was here in 99, Part of that program was doing like a file review with the social work from Hold and yeah, yeah. she was very kind and we went through my file and there was like nothing new. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And she asked me in her like broken English if I wanted to go see the place where I was found and I was like, no, that's okay. And then they took me. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, like all she heard was okay. <laughs> she yeah, just yeah, brought yeah, you yeah. here. Um it was very awkward, but anyway, so Korea changes very fast and Seoul yep. changes very fast and we're like dropped um, in some like m- really big street and she was like, oh, it's around here, you were found. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And um, I went with a Norwegian girl who was found in the same area. Another adoptee. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, there were like all adoptees on that trip, right? Yeah, yeah. And she just broke down crying in the middle of the street and she was like sobbing. And I was like, oh, it's okay. No. And I just, I didn't feel anything. It was just like yeah. concrete and buildings and, yeah, you know. Yeah. And then um, the, I think 
there was a hospital across the street, so the social worker, she was like, oh, let's go and ask if they know anything, and we did, and they're like, um, no. And then she said, oh, let's go to the police, and we did, and they're like, um, yeah. So after five years, we, like, maculate the papers, yeah, yeah. and I was like, oh, okay. And that was it. You know, I, I think I'm pretty, you know, clarified about, okay, I'm adopted, Mm-hmm. It's pretty difficult to find any information yeah. if people don't want to be found. Um, but coming here, um, do you know Korea Adoption Services? Uh, I mean, whole. <laughs> oh, so it's like um, it's a neutral agency under the Ministry of Health and Welfare in Korea. Okay. That now, with the Special Adoption Act that um, was enforced in 2012. Please explain that. Okay, so the Special Adoption Act changed a lot of things in the adoption system here. And the Special Adoption Act, the changes were pushed by adoptees. Yeah. Um, And there was an agency before that law, um, and that agency is now uh, Korea Adoption Services. So it's like a neutral agency. It's governmental. Mm -hmm. It refers to the ministry. And they're responsible for everything in the Special Adoption Act. Ah. Um, so what's in the Special Adoption Act? So it's post-adoption services, birth family search, and um, like they, um, they manage uh, the budgets for the funding for homeland tours and like, cultural activities that the organizations can mm-hmm. apply for. Um, and so that's one thing and they also um, manage domestic adoptions they okay. don't like actually facilitate facilitate yeah. but um, they supervise the agency the okay. adoption agencies and they counsel single mothers who call in and say or just like parents who consider giving up their child for adoption or so this seems like a pretty positive change for Korea do you feel that way, or is it? Does it have any teeth? Are they actually doing what they're supposed to be doing? That's. I think it depends on from which angle you look at it. Um, for the adopted community, no, they they do not do what they're supposed to. On the other hand, there's like the frames of the work, and within that frame, they they do the work. Mm-hmm. And I actually volunteer there. Okay. Um, I'm. I'm volunteering Tuesday and Wednesday mornings um, as the only adoptee and the only foreigner in the office. So um, it's all Koreans, all native Koreans, Koreans and um, then social, you. Yeah. So just a few years ago, that agency was very understaffed. There, uh-huh. was, there were a few people doing um, birth family search, primarily for overseas adoptees, because Domestic adoptees in Korea are still like the generation where the parents are open about their adoption. That generation is still quite young. Yeah, They're like yeah. adult domestic adoptees, but it's very like hush hush. Yeah. There's a bloodline and sure. family relations. All that is so important here. Is it still stigmatized? Yes. So another task for Korea Adoption Services is to promote domestic adoption. Right. And promote in the way that they want to make it. Um, considered a positive thing to adopt uh-huh. um, instead of being stigmatized. How are they doing with that? I would say better and better, but I'm not 
I don't have Korean mindset. Yeah. So I'm not sure. Um, from the international Korean adoptee community perspective, um, promoting adoption in itself is not a good thing. Um, so it kind of depends on yeah. which eyes are looking at it. Um, but from a neutral kind of standpoint, I would say they're doing well promoting domestic adoptions because uh, now there's um, this National Adoption Day that celebrates domestic adoptees. So they have like a day uh-huh. with events um, for domestic adopted children and the families mm-hmm. so they can come out and see each other and celebrate together that they adopted instead of sitting at home and being adopted in secret and we're not talking about yeah. it or yeah. you know um, but Korea still has a long way to go and do you feel like it's growing that that community in, in Korea of domestic adoptees yeah and the people who are willing to come out for a day like that where it's supposed to be there for them I, yeah, I only attended this year because, yeah, I didn't attend last year. Um, but from what I saw this year at the um, National Adoption Day, it was a very positive thing. Because there are a lot of rumors among international Korean adopters here that oh, it's a horrible thing and they're just standing there and promoting adoption and people should adopt. But you need the rest of that sentence. You need, yes, they're promoting adoption, um, but it's to overcome that stigmatization of people and to be more open about yeah. it and make it a more positive thing. Yeah. And I, I was very surprised because the families that attended, they had quite young children, mm-hmm. like either infants or maybe teenagers okay. at the most, um, and they were having a blast. There was like a magician that like did tricks and a concert and of course there were like speakers. Um, do you know MPEC? No. It's um, Steve Morrison is a Korean adoptee. He's American. Okay. And he's a very strong promoter of adoption uh-huh. internationally from Korea because as far as I know, he was quite old when he was adopted from Korea and he remember. Korea being quite poor and probably had a horrible time in the orphanage. Yeah. So he's a very strong promoter of. Interesting. Yes. Yeah. Um. So he came and gave a speech and. Huh. And uh, like a bunch of like other speakers, like officials and stuff. Yeah. Um. But overall, it's about the essence of that day is for the children to be more aware of themselves being adopted and yeah. it's not necessarily a bad thing and there are other children here that are adopted what well, sounds like you know if it's it's a step in the right direction right? yeah I would say because it's better than stigmatizing single mothers or children exactly. born out of wedlock exactly. in my opinion I mean, yeah. this is obviously a very divisive charged issue especially amongst the adoptee mm. community yeah um, but you know given the options I would say that being out in the open instead of hiding in shame is is the better of the two. Exactly. All right. Well, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with a complete stranger and talk about very intimate issues <laughs> for the last hour. <laughs> uh, it's much appreciated, and I think that uh, overall, you know, this will help the adopted community, and especially. 
uh, people in America who don't know anything about Danish culture <laughs> or what it's like to grow up in, yeah. in Denmark uh, as a Korean adoptee. It mm-hmm. sounds like it's actually uh, a fairly robust Korean adoptee contingent within Denmark because in the U.S., you know, you can be the only adoptee in your town a lot of the time. Yes. So the only Korean in your town yes. or the only Asian or minority in your town. Yeah. It sounds like you at least had... You know, even if there wasn't a group to go to or anything, like people in your community that you could see and be like, oh, that's a Korean adoptee, or this is an adoptee, or I know a Korean adoptee at work who's dating another Korean adoptee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's, it's fairly rare, I think, unless you live in a very large area. So, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I, I was pretty lucky in New Jersey. I grew up with another Korean adoptee in my right. elementary school. We kind of grew up together, but we, like, never talked about it. <laughs> So interesting, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it was like I was always wanting to talk about it, and I w- went to Korean camps, and that later they were just adoption uh, camps uh. and all that stuff. But, like, you know, she had no interest. I mean, even today, just no interest. Mm-hmm. Which is, yeah, and that's totally fine. But it was like I had to wait a whole year to go to that camp to oh. get those issues out. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. I mean... Yeah, you know, you talk to other people and they're the only ones in their town. They've never heard of Korean adoption camp or international adoption camp or any of those things and until they move to a bigger city or get to college or whatever and all of a sudden there's... What? There's a trip to Seoul with Holt all of a sudden? <laughs> and that, yeah, that's their first experience. Yeah, so, you know. I know. I meet a lot of Korean adoptees um, and especially, yeah, a lot of Americans express like growing up feeling very isolated in a yeah. society mm-hmm. or just like very lonely um, which is interesting because Denmark is very small and it's very white and yeah. I do know a lot of Korean adoptees who grew up in very like secluded like areas like very isolated or they were bullied in school yeah. like, very badly but did you experience any of that yeah there was a guy a boy in my class um, we were friends until the point he watched um, Rambo. <laughs> and then he was like, it's people like you who did it to him. And I was like, what? Oh, um, okay. Or like, you know, shouting in the street or, you know. Um, and it's still there. Like, uh-huh. I would guess people still experience that. In yeah, yeah. And now it's getting more and more legitimized because we're all going to the right getting more racist but yeah. so um, all the Danish adoptees just moved to Korea now and <laughs> shop <laughs> no but I think um, the fact that there's such a large population of Korean adoptees within a relatively small population uh-huh. um, makes Korean adoptees very visible yeah I yeah. think so so I, I guess like every third or fourth person in Denmark would know a Korean adoptee or they grew up with somebody wow. or there was one in the school or the husband knows a Korean you know yeah yeah it's kind of like what do you say like six uh, six degrees of separation yeah, yeah exactly it sounds like it's three or four degrees of separation yeah, would, in Denmark I would think so that's in Denmark at least pretty that's a pretty staggering statistic mm. <laughs> <laughs> that's true that's pretty awesome yep. alright well again I appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk to me for the podcast you're very welcome thank you so much and everybody should visit visit the uh, the not mad dog cafe <laughs> it's the cooking studio yeah alright well yeah and you do you want to tell people how to find you here other than the website are you on like twitter or facebook or? I'm on facebook facebook.com 
slash M-A-D-O-G-H-Y-G-G-E. All right. And it has like a map to get here and everything like that so people don't yes. end up at the hospital. <laughs> yes. There's... I should have looked that up before before getting in the car. <laughs> it would have been smart. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. All right. Well, thanks a lot. You're welcome. All right. So that was my interview with uh, AK Sally. Did you like that? That was pretty good, huh? She's a sweet gal. I, I really had a good time interviewing her, and uh, she has a very interesting story, obviously. A lot of uh, drama, but I think it turned out all right. I think it turned out okay, because she ended up uh, hanging out in Seoul and opening up her own cooking studio, making her own way. And making her own way. And that's the important part, all right, for all you people out there. And I think that's something that David Bowie would have liked, is that she made her own way. It doesn't matter what people think. So getting getting back, thank you for uh, listening to that, obviously. And I uh, hope you join us next week when we talk to Amy Ginther. Uh, that recording got a little messed up because it was done via Skype. And I was using my old laptop. And uh, basically, it, the recordings kept getting cut off. So it's going to be a little bit uh, different next week. <laughs> Unconventional. But we'll, we'll get through it. We'll get through it together. You know, like we get through everything. Uh, I'm probably going to interview her again sometime in the future, whether she wants to or not. If she's listening, Amy, Amy, we're going to we're going to do this again. All right. We're going to do it right. OK. Um, and uh, that's uh, all I have to say about that kind of stuff. And then uh, we'll see where we go from there. We got some more interviews up and coming. In the meantime, I'd like to chat just a little bit. Uh, if you want to stick around, great. If you don't, you have something else to do. You got more uh, treading to mill. You have more uh, house to clean. You have, you're on your drive and you don't want to listen to me anymore. That, that's fine. I get it. But I'm just going to talk a little bit about what David Bowie meant to me. Uh, as a musician, as an artist, as a human being, and as a hero. I was probably first exposed to David Bowie, uh, like many people, um, with his duet with Queen, who's also one of my favorite bands. Uh, obviously, they sang Under Pressure together. Um, I'm not going to use too much any one of these songs because I didn't have the rights. Unlike last week where I actually got the rights. I procured the rights to that John Lennon song. So I appreciate that from uh, the publishing company in New York. Anyways, well, we're going to do some commentary to uh, allow for fair use. So, yeah, the first exposure, I guess, to David Bowie that I probably had was Under Pressure, uh, his duet with Queen, which obviously is amazing. I think the next time that I heard David Bowie after that was uh, weirdly a, a cover of a great song on uh, the soundtrack to um, Godzilla of all movies with Matthew Broderick. Terrible movie, terrible film, but you know what? 
Uh, it had a great soundtrack, and it was the first time I had heard this number, which I uh, I fell in love with. And there's a great also uh, there's a great scene in the movie, the person being a wallflower, which I watched on a plane, <laughs> but nonetheless kind of expressed exactly how I felt about uh, this particular song. And I think a lot of us feel about this song. Like dolphins, like dolphins can swing. Though nothing, nothing will keep us together. We can beat them forever and ever. Oh, we can be heroes just for one day. The next time I heard David Bowie, sadly. Um, was right after 9-11 happened. Uh, I was in high school. I was a high school junior um, when 9-11 struck. It affected me very deeply because I was living in New Jersey at the time, obviously, um, with my parents and my sister. And uh, we, uh, it, it, just like everybody, we just, we watched it happen on the news. We watched it happen. There was a high, higher mountain in Hillsborough where I grew up where you could actually see New York and you could see the skyline and uh, what was happening over there. And uh, sadly, you know, we all, we all lived through it. And uh, obviously it was a paradigm shift for, for the United States in general and for everybody, everybody in the world. Um, and it reflects in the age we live in today. Um, but a month later, they uh, organized a uh, concert. It was called the Concert for New York and it had a bunch of different stars. And David Bowie uh, opened it up. He opened up the concert with uh, a really great song. And it wasn't even his own. It was a cover of a Simon and Garfunkel song. Um, that kind of uh, really, really touched me. Um, just like the whole concert did. And uh, kind of expressed his love for New York. His uh, new home that he, he had immigrated to. And uh, it, it was just a really touching way to open up the entire concert. Walked up to look for America Kathy, I said, as we boarded a Greyhound in Pittsburgh Michigan seems like a dream to me now It took me four days to hitchhike from Saginaw I've come to look for America The next time I heard from David Bowie, it uh, wasn't even in the form of uh, David Bowie. It was in the form of uh, another film that I also fell in love with called Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, a Wes Anderson movie, which is uh, just a masterpiece. I really love that film. But throughout the movie, a uh, Portuguese artist named uh, Sue George sings a bunch of David Bowie songs in Portuguese in their acoustic versions, and they're just really, really beautiful uh, versions of his songs. And uh, I'd like to play one of those for you right now because it touched me and maybe it'll touch you too. One, 
das coisas do coração Não consegue compreender E a mente não faz questão E nem tem forças pra obedecer Quantos sonhos já destruí E deixei escapar das mãos Se o futuro assim permitir Não pretendo viver em vão meu amor não estamos sós Tem um mundo a esperar por nós No infinito do céu azul Pode ter vida em Marte Então vem cá, me dá a sua língua Então vem, eu quero abraçar você Seu poder vem do sol Em a medida Então vem Viver a vida, então vem, senão não vou perder quem sou. Vou querer me mudar para uma life on Without going on and on about how much I love David Bowie, I'm just going to finish on a, a song called Space Oddity. That, that last one was Life on Mars, obviously. Um, Space Oddity is a fantastic song. It opens up the uh, the Best of David Bowie album, uh, which I highly recommend you get, along with uh, Black Star, his latest release uh, just before he passed, um, which takes his music, again, in a completely different direction. It's got a more jazzy feel to it, and I love that as an artist, he continued to grow over the six decades that he was making music, of which, of course, I uh, had only experienced two of those. Um, but Space Oddity is a fantastic song, and uh, if you haven't had a chance to listen to it or or you really want to nerd out like I nerd out, you can listen to the Colonel, Canadian Colonel, Chris Hadwick version uh, that he performed on the International Space Station. You can YouTube that. It, obviously, uh, if you haven't been living under a rock, you can, you've already heard it. But I'm going to play the David Bowie song because uh, he he meant so much to me. So enjoy this, and uh, we will talk again next week uh, when I interview Amy Ginther. Thanks for listening. Ground control to major tones. Seven, six, commencing countdown engines on. Three, two, check ignition, and may God's love be with you. This is ground control to Major Tom You've really made the grade And the papers want to know Whose shirts you wear Now it's time to leave Tom to ground control I'm stepping through the door And I'm floating in a most peculiar way 
tin can.